uh, Extreme Makeover Life Edition. Today we're talking about, talking about families, okay? We're going to work on our families, and uh, we all need to work on our families some. Would you say amen? Amen. amen. We all need to work on our families. So, you know, and I was, I was trying to decide whether to title this uh, Building Families or Rebuilding Families. I just left it Families because I didn't... I, I didn't want I didn't want somebody because I was afraid some of you'd say, "Well, my family's in pretty good shape." You'd be like the Spiegelmans, you know. You say, "My family's in pretty good shape," and when I said rebuilding families, you'd just kind of check out on me. You wouldn't be listening anymore. So I just kind of just left it as families, and we all need to work on our families. We've all got some place, something we need to fix. And just a few moments ago, when uh, Jamie was between, I think the first and second songs, she was she she said something to me. I thought about this, uh, you know, this other little thing a lot that. That you know, the scripture tells us that, that God is able to do more than we can, you know, than we can dream and we can we can imagine. But and she she pointed out that thing that He's even able to do more than we ask. You know, and, and, and you know I, I know people who can ask a whole lot. You know, like I, I, there are people in my family that know how to ask for a whole lot. You know what I'm talking about? And if God can do more than they can ask, I said, man, He's a pretty good God. He's a pretty big God. If He can do more. You know, then th- they can ask. And maybe you got somebody like that in your family as well. Well, if you understand that, let's dream big then today. God can do for your family more than you can ask. You see, because some of you have in your mind, in your heart, in your home, you have something you want God to do, but you're not really sure. It's like, maybe this is too big. Come on, somebody. You, you need... You need a healing somewhere that said, hey, this will never happen. You need, a, uh, you need a, a loved one that has walked away from God. You need them to come back home, but, but you're looking at their life, and you're saying, they're not getting better, they're getting worse. They're not getting closer, they're getting farther. And, and, and if you're not careful, you'll say, this can never happen. But God is able to do more than you can even imagine and than you can ask. So let's ask, let's make the big ask this morning. Let's make the big ask, and let's ask God to heal our marriages Let's ask God to strengthen our relationships between parents and kids. Let's ask God to help us rebuild strong families in our homes. Would you help me? Let's pray right now, and let's let God minister to us. Father, I love you, God, and thank you, Lord, for uh, great families. Lord, we have some awesome families here. God, got some great men, some great women, Lord, uh, in this house. God, we got some great teenagers, some great kids, Lord, uh, in our church, Lord. And I just ask you, God, though, to help us come together and make an even greater family, God, that, that when the pieces of, of, of these family puzzles really begin to fit and begin to work uh, the way you intended them to work, God, that they will, they will build great families, Lord, that, that uh, will take these, uh, these pieces, these, uh, uh, the, the, the things that you've given us, God, uh, uh, the understanding, Lord, and the way that we're supposed to operate and work, when we take these things and put them all together, God, we will become a great, awesome family. Lord, I pray that for everyone. And God, I want to make the big, I want to make the big ask today, God. God, there are some things that I need, and Lord, I ask you, God, begin doing them in my family. There are some things I want to see. There are some things I want, I want to change, God. There are some things that I want stronger in my family, and I pray, God, do it for us in Jesus' name. I'm making the big ask today, and I ask you for that. God, not, not, just, not just for me, but God, as priest of my home, I'm asking for the big things today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Okay, there are two great powers in the universe today. All right, and, and, and I want to tell you, look, if, if we're going to build great families, we've got to do it God's way. And, and the two great powers, the two great influences on this planet are the church and the family. Okay, now we're here at the church, and we really want our churches to be great. And you know what? We, we argue a whole lot in churchdom. 
you know, in the church world about, about what a church should be and how a church should function. And, you know, I mean, there are battles that are fought in churches over what a church should look like and be and act and all those things. And yet we kind of take our families, you know, we kind of take th- that and just kind of whatever, you know, just whatever. You know, there's, there's not effort put into it. There's not a lot of prayer put into it. I mean, if, if we prayed about church services as much, you know, I'm talking about leadership. If the leadership of the church prayed about the church and the church services, the direction of the church and the work of the church as much as most people prayed about their families, churches, all, churches would all fall apart because we don't put the effort in there. And th- these, two, these two things, these two influences, the church and the family or the home, these two influences, these are, these are things that God... He, he, he created, he instituted them, but, but even more than that, I want you to see why he did it. There was, there was nobody telling God, hey, you're going to need these things. God, when you create humankind, you're going to need to have these two things. This was God's idea. This was in his heart. God designed and developed and chose all of this, okay? So it's not like we said, hey, God, we're going to need a good church to go to. And God, we're going to need strong families. No, God said, you're going to need this, and so I'm going to create this. And here's what they need to look like, and here's how they need to be built, and here are the things. And the things that the church at home, they've got the exact same purpose, and that is to raise people, men, women, boys, girls, sons and daughters, to raise us together to be able to know him and come in right relationship with God. That's the purpose of the church, and that's the purpose of the home. The home doesn't have a separate purpose. It, it's the same purpose as to know God as we're supposed to know him. And one more, one more thing that is, that is like in these two great influences, and this is that they both have spiritual leadership. God has set that in motion, spiritual leadership. Can, can you imagine coming to church today and there not being any spiritual leadership? You know, we, we'd still just be sitting here in the chairs looking up at the stage, wouldn't we? You know, if nobody had prayed this week and said, mm, what song do you want to sing this week? God, give us some direction. If nobody had, if nobody had been with God and, and tried to get a message from God, if nobody had, I mean, I mean, if we didn't have spiritual leadership, we wouldn't even have any idea of what to do. I mean, we, we have known what time to even show up. Yeah, I mean, there has to be some leadership. Somebody has to take that. And the same way in the family, if you don't have that, you know what? It's, it's like everybody's just wandering around. You ever, you, ever, you ever been somewhere that's like that? I mean, I... Let me tell you, I've been in churches like that. I've been in church services that, that I literally felt like nobody was in charge. I mean, David, we can, David and I, we can tell you some horror stories. I mean, we, we went to a church one time that, uh, that you know, I, I'm supposed to be there to preach. I'm the, I, I'm the state official, you know, who's come in to preach, you know, and everything. And, you know, normally when, you know, I'm nobody, but, you know, normally when somebody with a title comes in, you kind of try to dress yourself up as best you can, those kinds of things. You know, now, I'm not about that, but that's normally how people would be. Hey, before, before worship was over, the, the, the little kids, the, the little kids, I'm talking about little kids, grandkids of, of the pastor, they were coming up on the stage and jumping off of the stage, you know. They were coming up and ju- they, were, they were just having a good time. I thought we were having kids' church in the sanctuary while we were trying to have worship. You know, and, and it's like nobody was in, when, when, nobody, when nobody is giving direction, it's like there is no direction. And it's like everything is going in every direction. And that's the way it is in a family as well. That's the way it is in a home when nobody, when nobody is seeking direction and giving direction. But when there is spiritual leadership, when someone is, is in their right place in spiritual leadership in a home, there are some amazing things that happen. I want to show you the things that are happening when, when a, a spiritual leader is in his place in the home. And listen, 
If uh, your whole family, if there's 10 of you in your home and every one of you are Christians, every one of you has a place in some spiritual leadership. And I don't, I don't have time to, to preach all this whole thing to you, but I want to preach as much of it as I can, but I want you to understand that, is that you have a place where you fit. You know, it's just I was praying a few moments ago and I was thinking about all those pieces of a, you know, an extreme makeover when they bring all the pieces of the, of the house together, the lumber and the, the bricks and the stones, the mortar and all those things, and they pull it together. If you're missing two or three pieces, I mean, you don't just say, it'll look okay without it. You know, it's going to be cold, you know, when that section of the wall is not there, you know, uh, in January. You know, it's, 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 going to be, it's going to be hard to, you know, to maintain some heat when, you know, in, in, in the house when somebody forgot to bring the roof, you know. And so even, even if you uh, maybe don't exactly hear your place, and I think you kind of will this morning, I think you'll hear your place. Every one of us has a place to fulfill in the family. But the most important thing we've got to look at first is we've got to look at that spiritual, it's what I call the spiritual head of the house or head of the household. And I say sometimes head of the household because, man, households are... I mean, you never never know what they're going to look like around here these days. I mean, you know, uh, kids move out and, you know, and realize they had a lot better with mom and dad and they move back in. Amen? Oh, me? You know, I had a, had a guy come work on my air conditioner one day and he was telling me his story. He, he said, all my kids moved out. He said, they all, now they're all coming back. He said, I, I got one that's come back with, uh, you know, with a girlfriend. I got one that's come back with... Uh, they're divorced, but they've come back with kids, so I got the grandkids moved in. I got one who's a policeman, and he's with the canine unit, and he brought a dog. And he said, and you know, and so you never know what a household looks like, but no matter what the household looks like, there's got to be somebody who steps up and is the spiritual head of the household. Do you know who that is? That person is normal. That person is in God's plan. That person is the man, the, 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 the husband, or the father of the home. If there's a Christian husband or a father in the home, he is the spiritual head of the household in God's plan. Now, don't, don't get real excited about it, guys, because it's not all it's cracked up to be all the time. And if you're not that person, don't look at them with some, you know, some kind of jealousy because you think, hey, they get to make all the decisions. No, follow me here, and you'll see that it's not what it sounds like all the time. Somebody, I'm not saying somebody needs to make all the decisions. I'm saying somebody needs to lead things. Somebody needs to make sure things are where they need. Somebody needs to be the Ty Pennington that brings it all together and says, hey, this is what the house is supposed to look like, and this is how it's going to happen. You know, and you do this, and, you do, and somebody's got to ha- make that happen and make sure that it happens. And here's, here's the thing, I, and I even asked David this, this this past week. I just you know, can you think of anybody, because I couldn't think of anyone. I said, can you think of one family in the Bible that we could use as a model family? Now, nobody's perfect, right? Everybody say amen, especially those of you who are married, right? Nobody's perfect. No families are perfect. Okay, say amen. But now that's not an excuse for you to not try to be as good as you can be. Just like no houses are perfect, but you want your house to be as good as it can be, right? Just because the neighbor's house isn't perfect doesn't mean that you want to you know, let, uh, let the paint you know, chip away and, and you rot the boards on the side of your house because the neighbor's house. You know, just because people's lives aren't perfect doesn't mean you don't want yours to be. Well, I've looked in the Bible. I've tried to think. I cannot find a model family in the Bible. So what I'm going to have to do here today is skip around just a little bit to show you some of the pieces of how it all fits together. And the model for the Christian husband uh, and father is Job. And there are some awesome things about Job. So let me, let me share some of this with you. One of the most awesome things to me is found right there in the first couple of verses of the book of Job. And I, I know the story that, that you probably have in your mind if you know Job's story is you're thinking about how, how God allowed him to be tested and tried and, and, and how he held on to God even though everybody else was telling him, hey, you know, you've messed up, you've sinned or whatever. But there's just something awesome right here. 
in these first two verses. And it's about the covering that a spiritual head of the house brings to a family. And it's right here in uh, t- verse 1 and 2 of uh, chapter 1. It says, In the land of us there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. He was blameless, upright, feared God, and he shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. Seven sons and three daughters. And here's what Job did. I'm sorry, can we jump, can we jump to uh, verse 3? Is it verse 3? And he he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and he had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the east. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. First thing, is is he provided covering? Second thing, is he provided blessing? I want to show these to to you right here together. He provided blessing and provided covering because of his relationship with God. And here's what he would do. His sons... They didn't, they didn't really follow his godly example. And they often had parties. They would invite all the brothers and sisters into one house, and they would have a party. And here's what Job would do. He said Job would then, early in the morning, especially if he heard they'd had a party last night, this is probably what he did the way we read the Scripture there, is that he would get up early the next morning, and he would offer sacrifices. And he said, because it may be that my sons have sinned against you, God. Now, and I know we cannot ask God to forgive somebody else's sin. But here was the covering. And the cover. And let me relate this to you a little bit in a New Testament priesthood, home priesthood kind of a way. Here's what we would be doing, and I do this regularly. I do this. I'm telling you, I do this for my family regularly. I plead the blood. In praying, I plead the blood, and I say, God, I plead the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on Calvary for my sin. And for my family's sin. And God, that if we have committed any sin, if there's anything between us and you, then God lovingly, because of the blood, not because of our goodness, not because of, uh, of anything we've done, but lovingly, Lord, I pray that you convict us of our sin and forgive us of our sin. And, and you know what? That doesn't mean that my son's on his way to heaven if he's been walking away from God for 20 years. But what it means is I'm praying, God, please, I want you to cover him in the blood and keep covering him in the blood and keep covering him in the blood until he begins to feel that loving conviction. And God, then he will reach up to you for forgiveness of his sin. And the word says that Job did this regularly. And, and, and so here's what we understand about this. Not on a prescribed date. Not when God said, okay, you know, because God gave them prescribed dates when they would come and they would offer sin offering. They would offer this. He said Job did this regularly, meaning that he would do this whenever he felt like, okay, i got to pray this prayer. And for me and you to relate that, I mean, that's, when we talk about regularly in a, in a New Testament Christian's life, we're talking about daily. I mean, this is, should be a daily thing that we are covering our families in prayer and pleading the blood of Jesus over because it all begins with right relationship. Somebody say amen. I mean, all the blessings and all the other stuff and pulling your house together, it begins with right relationship. And if that house isn't in right relationship with God, then all these other things can't be. It, 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 is like, it is like that foundation that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Is that the foundation isn't right, none of the house can be right. If the foundation is, is, is not level, the house cannot be level. If the foundation is not the right size, if the foundation is not the right strength, if there's something wrong with the foundation... There's going to be something wrong with the whole house. So the relationship is the most important thing. So listen to me. Spiritual heads of house, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to become the covering for your family. And then the blessing. The blessing came. Listen, they were stinking, filthy rich. And I don't even know if they knew it. They probably knew it and took advantage of it, but they didn't appreciate it. You know what? There's, there's something different in knowing and appreciating something. 
You know, they knew probably that they were rich, but they didn't appreciate it. They knew that they had a lot, but they did not appreciate the fact that they were blessed. You know what blessed means really in this, in, in this context? It means that they were given something they didn't deserve. They were blessed. Every, nobody, everybody else didn't have what they had. They had more than anybody else is what the Scripture said. They were blessed. And so we, we need to go beyond that, and we need to help our families see that we are blessed. They were blessed because they had a righteous spiritual head of the house. And there's some, the third thing that you have when you have the spiritual head of the house that's in his right place is you have instruction, guidance, direction, training, teaching that lines up with the Word of God. Now, let me tell you something, and I'm really, you know, I, I, I know right now I'm speaking mostly to the, to the, to the guys here, the, the, the men of the house, those kind of things, but I want everybody to listen to me about this too, just in case, because I'm going to bring you into this in just a few moments. But if more, if more of your conversation through the day, especially in instruction and training or, or, or direction, or somebody asks you advice or for counsel, and I don't mean just in your house, but even out there in the community and in your place of work and the places that you go, if more of your conversation has to do with what you heard on afternoon TV yesterday than what you read in the Bible or what was, was shared with you in a, in a good sermon or a good lesson, then there's a problem. Because what Christians ought to be speaking when they're giving guidance and counsel and direction and training and teaching and all those things and instruction, what they ought to be speaking is they ought to be speaking the Word of God. And that goes all the way back to the Old Testament as well. Deuteronomy. Look at the, look at the verses right here. Verses 6 through 9 of Deuteronomy chapter 6. These commandments that I give you, God says, are to be put on your hearts. You're supposed to speak of them. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. Impress them on your children. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And, you know, I've probably seen more women do this than I've seen men, but uh, you ever been in somebody's house and you've seen Scripture here or there or whatever? That's what God says to do. He says, your life is supposed to be wrapped up in Scripture. You know, here's the point. Is, you know, is that if you are giving more advice from what you've heard Dr. Phil say than what you've heard the Word of God say, there is a problem in your home, and that needs to change. You need to be giving advice and direction and instruction and training based on what God has shared with you about the way to build the house. Dr. Phil knows a whole lot about how to build a house, but if you'll go look and see what he's talking about, you dig into it, you'll see that it's all just about everything he says is, is, is foundational uh, upon Scripture and on what God says. It is the way God intended to build the house. And, and any counselor that helps you, if they truly help you, you know what they're going to be doing? They're going to be helping you build the house as it's supposed to be built according to God's direction, even if they don't know God. Because what they have found out is they have found out these are the principles that work. Guess where the principles came from? In the very first place, they came from God. And he says, here's what you do with them. Impress them upon your children. You know, bind them. Write them in your house. Put them on your gates. You know, put, you know, if you need to put it on the front door, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I've seen that everywhere, have you not? I mean, that, and that's what we're to do, is that, is that we're supposed to bring that. And there's also leadership. Leadership. I, 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 let's see, was that, I think it was a Facebook post late last night. I just had to do it late last night. I don't know if any of you saw it or not. My aunt saw it this morning because she, she commented on it. I said, I said, be the spiritual leader that you have been called by God or that your family needs you to be. Get up and bring your family to church. I posted that last night. I didn't know if any of you all would see it this morning, but my, my aunt commented this morning, saw it, hit my phone, and she said, she said, I'm on my way, Rick. 
I thought, oh, she's coming to our church, but she just went on her way to her, her church as well, I guess. Leadership. Leadership. You know, I've heard it said, said you know, don't, don't send your kids to church, bring them. Leadership. Leadership is not standing somewhere and saying, go do that, go do that, go do that. Leadership is walking, letting people follow you. Because leadership is not just what you say. Leadership is not just what you point. Leadership is what you do. People are going to follow what you do more than they're going to follow what you say. It's modeling. It's living it out before them. Jesus Christ didn't lean over from his throne and look over the clouds and say, hey, y'all do this and this. No, he came down. And if the Son of God, if he can leave the throne room of heaven and he can leave those, those beasts that cry out 24 hours a day, holy, 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 if he can leave that and come be born as a peasant's son and, 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 and you know, sleep his first night in a manger, in a stable, in a dusty little town of Bethlehem. And he can, he can live for 32, 33 years here and, and experience all the trouble that you did. He's teaching us what leadership is. Jesus was not a bully. He didn't say, you got to do it this way. He says, hey, here's the way. You want to go with me? This is going to be the best for your life. That's what, he, that's what he did as a leader. And so this is what happens when you have true spiritual leaders leading their homes. Is you have leadership. You don't have bullies. You know, and, I, and I'm not talking about just male bullies. You don't have female bullies either, amen? You don't have bullies. You don't have people say, it's going to be this way or it's going to be no way. That's not God's way. That's not what God does when he builds a home and he builds a family. It's leadership. Jesus Christ led. He said, here's the way. This is the way your life is going to be what it's supposed to be. So follow me and let's see how good it can be. And if you don't want to follow, he's not going to, he doesn't make you follow. He's not a bully. He doesn't threaten or those kinds of things. And these are the things that happen. Now, how does this play out? Because there, there are really two big relationships in every home. And, and, and the first one is a marriage. Now, some of you have been through a marriage and maybe through divorce or, or maybe a death. Uh, maybe that, you know, you're alone now. But that, that's, that's the big number one is marriage. How does this all play out? Because if we're not careful, you know, it'll look like I'm saying that, okay, somebody's got to be the boss. No, 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 no bosses, no bullies. Let me show it to you here. Uh, It's in Ephesians. In marriage, in Ephesians, uh, Paul gives us the instruction on how a husband and a wife are to work together. And and hang on with me here. Some of you are going to cut this off and say, oh, he's he's telling us wives we got to submit. Listen to this. Follow me here. I want you to hang with me here. I want you to see something. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So what do you see there? To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, so that he can present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. What is it you're seeing here? In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. I'm seeing, I'm, 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 I'm seeing not a word, submission. I'm not seeing a word. I'm seeing a concept. I'm seeing an ideal. I'm seeing that God is laying something out for us. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. This is what God has taught. We are members of his body. There's a whole concept here. And as members of his body, meaning we are members of, of his body, like this building that is being pulled together and all this. Here's the thing. is wives are called to a higher submission than husbands, and husbands are called to a higher sacrifice. But we do both. Husbands have to submit. 
Don't lean over and tell your husband that right now, okay? Did you hear what the pastor just said? And wives have to sacrifice, okay? But the wives are called to higher submission and husbands are called to higher sacrifice. Now, chances are you're kind of looking at the other side of that saying, well, they get the better end of the stick. And I guess maybe that's a little bit of the way I am somehow from being a husband and saying she gets the better end of the stick for this purpose. You see, because I'm looking at it and saying that means the whole thing comes down on my shoulders. You know, because when somebody says, I think we ought to do this, you submit to them, you get to say, I told you so later, don't you? You know, that's one of the reasons, that's one of the reasons I, I just hate to pick where we eat. I hate to hear people gripe about their food after we're done. And I don't want to be the one that said, let's eat here. And then say, wow, they, you picked a real winner today, you know. That's what we do. When, we, when you submit, you get to look at the other person. And if you don't say it out loud, you get to look at them and say, mm, yeah, you messed it up, didn't you? So, I, you know, that's kind of the way I look at it. And I know you ladies are looking at it like, he gets to make all the decisions. Let me give you a different picture. Let me give you a different picture. You remember, remember when Jesus Christ died on the cross? Very few of his followers were still around there. He had 5,000 people he fed with a, with a lunch. We find out just not long after that that they began leaving him in droves. He asked the disciples, you going to leave me too? They said, oh, no, we're not going to leave you. Simon Peter swore he wouldn't leave Jesus. But we find him hanging on the cross and a few women. And the apostle John is the only one there. And there is Jesus hanging on the cross, and, and, and his mother Mary is there as well. His mother. Now, wait a minute, mother. Uh, Jesus, and wait a minute, now the relationship here, what's going on? Okay, this is a little weird, a little different that it sounds like, you know, he's, is he the leader or is she the leader? Watch this. If we go back to, if we go back to the very beginning of his, of his ministry, at 12 years old, at 12 years old, when he is, when he is found, he is lost for, for three days. And when they finally found him, he is in the temple and he is teaching the teachers. And she says, why did you do this to us, son? And he said, i got to be about my father's business. Now, it doesn't say that she really fully understood that. It doesn't say she fully accepted it. it. didn't say she liked it. But to some extent, she submitted to it. We find her later, as, as Jesus is ministering around in, in Galilee, we find her later coming to him and trying to encourage him to do some things to take care of himself and, and to you know, slow down to back off. You know, can't you hear your mom saying that? Look, you're pushing yourself too hard. Come on home and let me make you some chicken soup, you know, and let, let me just take care of you. Let me, you know, let me do some things for you. And Jesus is still, I've got to be about my father's business. And here we have the, the last moments of his life here on the earth. And we have him hanging on the cross, and his mother is right there. And you know what she's had to do at this point now? She's had to totally submit to it. She knows that he is the son of God. And with just, just a word, with just a word, he'd come down off that cross and kill every Roman soldier inside. Just a word. With just a wink to heaven, legions of angels would, would, would storm out of heaven and rescue him. And she knows he could do this, but she doesn't say, Look, son, you got to do this. She submits. She submits to, okay, you say this is the way God has planned it, so I'm going to submit. His mother, his own mother, what, are you seeing this picture? This, is, this looks like it's getting out of, out of kilter here. It doesn't look like it's working, like it's really lined up the way Scripture is telling us to, but something's happening here. And so she fully submits to him. And as she submits, if, okay, if this is the way God says it's going to be, I'm submitting. We don't even hear a question. We don't hear an argument. We don't, we don't hear any, any kind of discussion, debate. Nothing is... She's just there accepting. You say this, I don't understand it. I don't like, you get at this? I don't understand it. I don't, I don't fully comprehend it. I don't like it. I, I don't say I'm going to like it tomorrow. 
But there's a submission that says, okay, I accept it. And then what do we have Christ doing? He is hanging on the cross, dying for her sin. Dying for her sin. Sacrificing. Laying every single thing down. Every relationship that he's ever had on this earth, it's, it's, it's being destroyed in this moment where he is submitting to the Father's will. He's submitting, but he's also sacrificing. She was called to a higher level of submission, but he was called to a higher level of sacrifice. And where she was submitting that, okay, if you say this is what we've got to do, this is, she submitted, and, and then Jesus died for her sin. His sacrifice was totally sacrificed, was complete. Everything He gave up his whole life for her, and that's the calling that you and I, sirs, have for our wives, is we are called to sacrifice. We're called to give it all. We're not called to say, look, I want this and I want this. We're not called like Gregory to say, I'm going to play golf. And I'm going I'm to tell you it was your responsibility to go do all those little things because golf is number one for me. No, it's sacrifice. That when, she, when she submits, that doesn't mean that she says, you can play golf. You go, I'm, I, I, I'm spending too much time here, but I've got to lay this out. My dad said this one time. I snuck in on him one, uh, back when we were past, both pastoring. You know, it was hard for us to be in church together. And one, one uh, Father's Day, I, I got somebody to fill in for me, didn't tell him, and I just snuck in on him and let, to hear him preach that Father's Day. And he laid this out, and he, and he, and he said, Here, here's how it works, guys. Is, you know, is, is you pray about it, you, figure, and you say, here's what I need to do, and you tell your wife, and your wife, you know, she says, well, I don't think this and this and this, but I'm going to follow you. This is what you think God wants us to do, and whatever, and whatever. And she submits to that, and then what you do, guys, is you turn around and you go do what she wants you to do. Doesn't sound real fun, does it? But he said, that's what this scripture's really talking about. And you know what had just happened? I had the perfect example of it. Just a few weeks before that, we had bought a new car. You know what? And, and David's brother was working at a car lot, and I went and, you know, and I said, here's what I want, here's what David wants. So he showed them both to me. Guess what I drove home? I drove home what I wanted. I, wa- I, wanted, something, I wanted something that was comfortable. I wanted something that was big enough for the family. I wanted something I enjoyed. I wanted something that was nice. I wanted something that had as many bells and whistles as I could afford. You know, I can't afford them all, you know. And I, I drove it home. I drove it up. And you know what? She, you know, she had that look on her face like, yeah, that's nice. And if that's what you want, that's what you think we need to have. And da-da-da-da-da, whatever, whatever, whatever. Man, she just took all the joy out of my... And so you know what I did? I took what I wanted back, and I got the van that she wanted, which was exactly what we needed. I had a perfect example. She submitted, and I sacrificed. So you decide which gets the better end of the stick. Does it? We just both, we all have a place to fulfill. And then there's the spiritual child in the house. Uh, uh, boy, my goodness, I got I to gotta hurt. The Christian child, uh, exempt, uh, we, we're going to go to Scripture here. For the Christian child, uh, uh, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ. I'm sorry, we need to uh, do the parenting. Thank you. Chapter 6 of Ephesians. i got to hurry right here. Um, yeah, let me skip, uh, skip what I was going to bring to you. The Christian child, Samuel. Listen, Samuel was not Eli's son, but he was in the house. Right, okay, I, I need you to listen. Um, I, I don't have time to, to go with the ladies right now. I'm going to have to go with the, with, the, with the kids and jump to this. I want you, I want you to hear this. When, 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 when the husband or the father is not a Christian, then oftentimes the mom, the wife has to step. Even if there's a father in the house, if he's not a Christian, the mom has to step in, step up. And when there's not a father, mother, uh, husband, or wife in the house, then 
Somebody else has to step up. Hey, you single adults, guess who that is? You know, when, when you're at home and the doorbell rings, do you look around, you know, as you single adults, you know, you live alone, do you look around and say, who's going to get that? No, it's your get, right? If you're a single adult, it's your get. Guess what? You're the spiritual head of the house. If dad don't live there, if mom don't live there, you are the head of the house. And, and, and if, but if you're still living at home with your family and, and your dad's not a Christian and your mom's not a Christian, guess what? You're head of the house. Spiritually speaking, you are the spiritual head of that house. That doesn't mean you take authority or control or any of those things. And we find this in Samuel. Samuel was not Eli's son, but when, when Samuel refused to hear God speak, guess what God began doing? Speaking to Samuel. Because you know, Eli was the priest. He was the high priest of Israel, but he wasn't listening. And when he quit listening, God had to speak to Samuel. And Samuel was not his son, but Samuel was in the house. Samuel was in the, Oh, I like that. Because that means you live in the house. It doesn't matter whether you're son or daughter. It doesn't matter if you blood kin or not. You live in the house. You are to be under some spiritual authority. He's in the house. I don't care how old you are. You're 70 years old. You're living with your 90-year-old mom. You're in her house. There's some spiritual authority right in there. And, and listen, you live in my house, and my kids know this. Hey, they both moved off and kind of moved back in. Now, Brent physically did it. He actually moved to Atlanta, and then he moved back in. Kristen's just kind of halfway done it. She moved out, but now she moves in about every afternoon, you know, just kind of stays or whatever. And you know what? They're adults. They've, you know, they've got their own credit score. You know, they, they've got their own cars and all those other things. But guess what? When they're in my house, there's some spiritual authority that's there. You know what, here's what Samuel did not do. Samuel didn't run down the, run down the hall and say, say, Eli, let me tell you, God's going to do this, this, this. No, Samuel, Samuel didn't even speak at first. He was in submission. And here's the thing. Let me, let me show you this real quick. This real quick scripture from Ephesians chapter 6. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Mm. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment of the promise. That it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Two things that are said there. It's talking about, it's talking about honor and the thing before that is talking about obeying. Obey and honor. Obey your parents and honor them. You know what obey means? Obey means to, to, to listen, to heed, to, to obey what is heard. And honor is to sign value or to give reverence. That means, that means even, listen, if you are the spiritual head of the house, if you're a 16-year-old spiritual head of the house because your mom and your dad aren't Christians, you can still obey and you can honor and fulfill what God has called you to do even though you're going to have to step up in some other areas, and you're going to have to be the covering who prays. You're going to have to be the, the one who tries to bring the blessings in. You can still honor and obey your parents. You can still give them reverence. You can still respect them. You can still assign value to them and say they're not Christians, they're not living for God right now, but they have, they have, they have value in my life, and you can give that to them. I've got to hurry. I, I, I spent way too much time talking about the husbands, but... That's just where it begins, guys, uh, with the fathers. That's just where it begins. But let me give this to you because I want to make sure everybody's got it. Is there is that spirit, there's that place of spiritual leadership. And if it's not being fulfilled, then we're like a whole bunch of subcontractors running around here trying to build a house, and nobody has the plans. Nobody knows how high it's supposed to be. Listen, I, I went to pastor a church one time, and if you stood like right back there and looked this way, you could see that the baptistry was off six inches. You know why? Because they had two crews and nobody in charge. And the guys that were working this side of the building, they put the wall on top of that uh, base plate. And the guys working on this side of the building, 
They put the wall on the outside of the base plate. And guess what? The entire building was six inches off because there was no leader. Somebody's got to step up. And your husband may claim to be a Christian, but if he's not, you know what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about getting an arrogant attitude and a holier than thou, but if your husband is not really being the spiritual head of the house, ladies, you've got to step up because your marriage depends on it. And if you've got kids, your kids need the covering. They need the blessing. They need these things. They need direction. They need leadership. They need instruction. You've got to step up. And in the same way, you may have Christian parents, you may have parents that come to church, pay their tithes, but they are not spiritual heads of the house. And sir, young lady, whatever, 14, 16, 18 years old, you're still living at home, you need to step up because your family needs the covering. And you need to pray, God, make my family whole. Fill up all these holes, these places that we've not been working on. You need, you've got to do it. So here's, here's, what, here's what I need to do. What I need to, I'm really having to kind of hit these, these last few points, just some, some thoughts, because I've got I to close this. I, I, I let time get away from me this morning. Here's what I want, I want to ask you to do. If you are the spiritual head of your household, that means if you are the Christian father or husband in your house, that's supposed to be you, sir. And if there's not one, then, then mom or wife falls to you. And if, and if not there, then probably the oldest Christian child in the house, even if you're 25 or 47, it may be falling to you. I want to ask the spiritual heads of the house to come stand in the front with me. Would you come stand in the front? I got one last thing I want to challenge you with. We're going to have a word of prayer, and then we're going to receive communion. So uh, just give me a moment here, if you will. Now, you remember I told you that I couldn't find any model families? You know why I couldn't? Can I show you some families from the Bible? Some that you may think are perfect? Here they are. Start with Noah. My, uh, get them. Noah, my list. Okay, here's the dysfunctional families in the Bible. Noah had a drinking problem. I don't know if you knew that or not. Abraham one time offered his wife to another man. Rebecca used her son to deceive her husband. Jacob showed favoritism to two of his sons, and the older son sold the favorite son into slavery. David had many family problems. I, 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 we, don't have, we don't have room to list them. Jacob's, I mean, Job's children did not follow his godly examples. Gideon's son, you remember Gideon? His son were nearly all degenerates. Eli lost control. I told you that story last week. Eli lost control of his sons. And Lot offered his virgin daughters to a mob. Okay, you, you see a model family anywhere? You say, I, I couldn't bring you a model family and say, this is how it's supposed to work. Here's the point, though. We all mess up. Nobody's perfect. And you know what? We're, sometimes we ain't even good models, much less perfect. We're not even good. But here's, here's the, other, the, the rest of the story. Noah rescued his family. And even though Abraham offered his wife to another man, Abraham birthed the nation of Israel. Rebecca deceived her husband and stole... Esau's birthright, but God later gave reconciliation to Esau and Jacob in the family, brought the family back together. 
But Jacob showed his older brothers, uh, Jacob's uh, older sons, sold Joseph, and God took everything that his, that his brothers and everybody else did to Joseph. God took all that, and he turned it around, and, and he blessed him, he, he exalted him, so, he made him a ruler in Egypt so he could also preserve the family. Uh, David had many family problems, but guess what? David left us the legacy of Solomon. We, we call him the wisest man that ever lived. Even though he had a lot of family problems, he still birthed the one that we call the wisest man that ever lived. That's the legacy he left. And Job's children did not wholly follow God's example, but you know what happened later? He, Job was blessed doubly. And it said he lived so long that he saw the fourth generation. He saw his great-great-grandkids. And that may not be a big deal today, but that was a big deal back in those days. He lived long enough to see the fourth generation. And, and then Gideon's sons, they were just about all degenerates. Guess what? Seventy of them died one day. Think, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Something's wrong here. Seventy sons were killed by one of the other sons. And it was the son of a servant, a concubine, not a, a wife. Seventy. Wait a minute. Eli lost control of his sons. Did he turn it around? No. I told you last week. They died on pr probably the darkest day of Israel's history, the day that the glory of God departed from Israel. And Lot offered his virgin daughters to a mob. Did he turn it around? No. His end, the last things we see about him, it, his end was just depravity. I mean, it, it's a horrible story. It's one of those stories I, I don't even want to tell you. I don't want to tell you what he did. I don't want to tell you what happened to him, the, the last things written about Lot. I don't even want to tell you about that. That's what happened. Now, wait a minute. This, this list started out, you know, it was really bad, but for a lot of people it turned around, didn't it? And for some it didn't. You know the difference? Not that they were perfect, Okay. Turn to the person next to you and say, you don't have to be perfect. Okay? That's not the difference in those first six and those last three. Not that they were perfect. But they were doing their best to fulfill the place of spiritual leadership in their home. Be in the head. I want you to stand with me back there, if you will. Just stand right where you are, please. I don't want you to move this way because they're coming back to you in just a moment. But I want, you to, I want you to stretch your prayers this way. I want to pray over you guys. I want to pray over you ladies. I want to pray over you young people. I want to pray over you single adults. I want, to pray, I want to pray over you that God helps you not become perfect, but he helps you become the spiritual head of the house so that these things can start happening in your home. And your home can become what God intended it to be. We can, you can rebuild the strength that used to be there. And, and maybe, maybe you've never had peace. Maybe you and your wife fought the night you got married. Maybe y'all had a big blow up and y'all been fighting ever since. But God can still bring peace even if you never had it. He can restore what you never had in the first place. He can bring healing. You know, if there, if there is, a, if there is some, a division of some kind between husband and wife or between parents and children, God can bring a healing in that. And I want to pray with you that, God, would you, would you today, would you right now today, just bow your head, close your eyes right now, and let's purpose in ourselves. That, God, I want to be the spiritual head of my family. I want to step up and, and be who I'm supposed to be. Can we pray that prayer right now? Father, I just pray, God, over, over all of our spiritual heads of the household. I pray, God, today over them in Jesus' name. Lord, that please, that, that you, you would help us. We've heard the word, God, and we, we've heard the challenge, but God, let us hear it with our hearts today. And God, let us receive it with our minds, God, and make a decision in our minds. God, God this is going to be on my shoulders one day, Lord. You're not going to come look for some other man and ask why he didn't help my family. You're going to look at me, Lord, and ask me why I didn't help my family. You're not, going to look at, you're not going to look at my wife and ask why she didn't pray over the kids and the grandkids until you first ask me why I didn't pray over the kids and the grandkids. God, you're, you're, you're going to come to me first, and Lord, this is important, and today we make the decision to, to, to return to our place of spiritual uh, leadership, to turn to our place, God, of, uh, of being concerned, and, and, and not trying to be perfect, but God, just fill that place. 
And God is as imperfect as people like Noah and Abraham and David were. God, help us, Lord, to, to fulfill what they did. God, not to just fill a spot, but to fulfill the spot that you've called us to, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. God, I accept the challenge, Lord, because there's no other way, God. There's no other way for, for, for victory and blessings and direction and covering, Lord, and forgiveness of sin and for my house to be whole and for leadership. There's no other way, God, except for me to be in the place that I'm supposed to be today. In Jesus' name, God, I accept that. Would you accept that today? Say, God, now God, help me, Lord. Help me do this. Help me walk this out, God. This next week, God, teach me. Show me, God. Help me, help me pray the prayers, God, like Job prayed. Help me be the man that I'm supposed to be, God, and, and, and speak those words, and God, and, and start hearing more of your word that I can share with my family instead of other words. God, help me walk this out. Help me make it happen. In Jesus' name, I pray. In Jesus' name, I pray. Make that decision, sir. Make that decision, ma'am. Make that decision, young man and young lady. Make that decision today. I am going to be the head, the spiritual leader that I'm supposed to be in my house today. Starting today, I'm going to do it. And here's what we're going to do. The very, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you a head start right here, sirs and ma'ams and I want you to come, and, and uh, the ushers have got the baskets. And yeah, bring, bring the kids in. Everybody back there, you can be seated. I want you to be seated so you can help us with your kids in just a moment. They're coming in. Listen, here's what I want you to do. Spiritual heads of the house, I want, you, I want you to get the cup and the juice enough for your family, and I want you to take it back to them. Because here's what I want you to think of, though, when you're doing this. You, you know what this symbolizes, don't you? The blood and the body of Jesus Christ. As you take this out of this basket, understand that you are, you are, it's like you're going for it. You are going for the blood and the, and, the, and the body of Christ to take back to your home. You're going for the blood and the body of Christ to take back to your marriage that is out there. To take back to those places that need some healing and need some peace and need some help and need some strength. The places that are divided and the places that are broken and the places that aren't strong. You're taking the blood. You're taking Jesus Christ to your family today. So come and, get, come and get enough for your whole family and take them back, if you will. Come on, go ahead. Just move on forward and think about, think about what it is that you're doing. Get enough for your family and take them. Here you go, Jeff. You can come right over this side. There's one closer to you. Just one, one for yourself. Yes, yes. Make sure you take one for yourself. Thank you for asking that question. And return to your seat. Take enough for your kids if your kids are able to participate today. Amen. Amen. Help him. Got two, Jeff. Amen. Thank you. If you need to go ahead and help your kids, go ahead and pull it off and get ready to take. You're going to have to. You have to pull two things off there. You take off that little plastic and take out the bread, and then you're going to pull off the other and take out the full. Hey, Joseph. My wife's here this she's not always here in every service but she's here today that's an honor sir madam listen there, there there have been a couple of things several things in my in my ministry that have been the most awesome things one of them was one of them was the night that I prayed with my two children my son and my daughter to know Jesus Christ one of the other awesome things about being a minister pastors you get to baptize your children you know, you, you, get, you get to serve in communion. And this is something I feel like you need to do. The spiritual head of the house is, is bring communion. Bring the blood of the body to Jesus to, uh, Jesus to your family. And if you need to explain, just a moment, go ahead. 
Tell them this is what it means. If you need to lean over to a, to a little, little child, do that. Do that. If you need to tell them, hey, here's what we're doing. We're talking about Jesus who, who died for us. If you need to tell them, give them some instruction. Here's what Jesus did on that night before he was crucified. The next day, the disciples would see him bleed out those drops of blood for their salvation. The next day, they would see him hanging on that cross and his body literally just breaking down. You know, you've probably heard those stories that they tell us, the medical people tell us that, that what happened when the blood and water flowed out is that his heart ruptured inside of him and his body was literally broken for us. And he said, this is what's going to happen tomorrow, guys. My body's going to be broken for you and I'm going to pour out my blood for you. And so he passed around the bread and he, he broke it. And, and I normally break it myself with my hands just because his body was broken. I just do that as a reminder to me that his body was broken. It wasn't a perfect body. It was a body that was broken down by living here in all this sin and all this trouble that he came to live in. For me, he, he, he was broken for me. Now he said, take and eat of it. And remember his sacrifice. Remember the sacrifice that he made by giving his body, by giving his life. And then he passed the cup around. It was full of juice from, from, the, uh, from the grape vines of Galilee. And, and, he, and this was symbolic of his blood. The blood that he was going to pour out the very next day. The blood that would buy their salvation. You head to the house, what you, you've done today is a symbol. You're saying, look, I want you to be covered in this blood. I want you to accept this blood at some point in your life. That's what you're telling them. You make sure they understand that somewhere down the road. And so now let's do what Jesus did. When the disciples, he said, now take and drink all of it. Let's drink it together. And remember the sacrifice. And remember that your sins are forgiven by this blood in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I love you. I love you. I love you. Thank you, Jesus. Jamie, come on. I know it's getting late, but come on. Let's do what we can. Thank you, God. Somebody just take a moment here and just thank God. Remember his sacrifice. Thank God. My family can be whole because of this foundation. It isn't built on the world. It isn't built on theologies. It is built on the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, sacrificed and given for my sake. My family can be whole if I'll be the man, if I'll be the woman I'm supposed to be to bring it home to my family, to my home. If I'll bring it home, if I'll, do, if I'll stand in the place I'm supposed to be, be the man, be the woman I'm supposed to be. My family can be whole. Healing can take place. Forgiveness of sin. Restoration of those that I've lost. Relationships can be renewed and restored. Jesus, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I want to ask you, I, I, I want to offer you one last opportunity to do something. I ask you to do this. Spiritual head of the house, why don't you stand up right now? Bring your family to the front. Come on, let's close. Let's close in a final song. Jamie's going to lead us in a final song. Come on, bring your family down. You can leave your cups where they are. Come on down. Jamie's going to leave us in a final song.